Nicole and the boys went to Illinois this weekend, and they got home last night, so I stayed up to, to, to wait for them. They got home about 10 o'clock. I probably could have been to sleep by about 9. Um, and then by the time they got home, we got the boys in bed. The World Series game was too deep to give it up, and so um, got to bed got to bed late last night. And, and um, so it was, a, it was a three cup of coffee morning, and not quite sure if that was enough. So a uh, little, 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 little tired this morning, my myself. So um, see what that uh, see what that means for for this for this time period, but. Maybe sometime in your life, probably you've experienced this at some point in time in your life, uh, a, a, a time where, where you felt like you couldn't move physically. Maybe some of you had a CAT scan. Anybody have a CAT scan? And that doesn't mean somebody rubbed a cat over you, okay? <laughs> All right? So, you know, like, anybody, you, you, you had a CAT scan? Anybody else had a CAT scan? CAT scan? Um, either of you guys freak being in that tunnel? No, you good? You good? I, you know, two guys, you're not going to admit it. No, I didn't freak. I didn't freak. Her. So, you know, uh, just in closed space, I've never had a cat scan before. I don't like cats, so, you know, I've never had a cat scan before and, and everything. But, uh, uh, but uh, I, I've heard that it's really tight in there that you can freak and, like, open up your eyes. Ah, let me out of this thing. Maybe you've had a sibling, a brother or a sister that sat on you before and tied down all your arms and legs and appendages and you can't move. You start to freak. Or maybe it's your dad or your uncles and you start to freak and you're like, ah, get me out of this. Ah! Not that I'm scarred or anything. <sighs> Bad memories. But maybe you don't like your arms and your legs being immobile and you freak out, you know, about that and being in tight spaces, not being able to move. Maybe some of you, maybe you're so claustrophobic that just talking about it gets you white knuckles, gets you white knuckles. Maybe, maybe some of you have have experienced um, claustrophobia, but not, not physical claustrophobia, but emotional or spiritual or mental claustrophobia, that you're in a situation in life that you feel like you're stuck. You can't move. You can't get out of. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know, you don't know what to do to get out of that situation. Maybe somebody's done something to you. Or if it's just a natural, you know, like, like the bumper sticker says, life happens. So you're like, I thought you were going to go with the other bumper sticker. No, we're in church, all right? Come on. But maybe, maybe... It's not something that somebody else did to you. Maybe it's not a situation that just happens because life happens, but maybe you've done it to you. Maybe you've put yourself in a situation where you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just stuck. And I know that I put myself in this situation. I'm to blame. I am stuck. I cannot move. I am, a, I am an emotional or spiritual or mental claustrophobia, and I don't know how to change it. What do we do when we get into that moment of life? Because you know what? We've all been in that moment of life where we know we've put ourselves in this situation, but 
we don't know how to get out of it and we're having a little bit of claustrophobia because we've put ourselves there. What happens then? See, the Bible has a lot to say about this, about being in bondage, being in slavery. This is the last week in our formed series. And last week we were in Genesis and we talked about Jacob and the deception and how God showed up in Jacob's deception. It was a thing. It was a thing of God showed up in the middle of Jacob's deception. God didn't say, get out of your deception and then I'll show up. God showed up in the middle of his deception and formed him in the middle of his deception. And then... And now, this week, we're going to be back in Isaiah. We're going, to be, we're, going to, we're going to conclude this by being back in Isaiah. And we see in Genesis, and then, and then Isaiah brings out these same themes of, of who God is, the characteristics of God, and how He wants to form us through the characteristics of Him. We are looking at who God is. But, but theology is useless unless it affects our life. It's useless. It's dry, it's boring, and it means nothing to you unless it affects your life. And so we're taking a look at at, at who God is and what He does with us. And in Isaiah, we we see Isaiah or God through Isaiah telling His people, you put yourself in bondage, but here's how you're going to get out. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read all the way through 20 and then come back and talk about, uh, about what God is saying here. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. Those prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols, they don't know this. So they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God? An idol that cannot help him one bit. All who worship idols will be disgraced. Along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, they will claim, who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His works makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and then to keep himself warm. He says, ah, That fire feels so good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping it and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? 
Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand alive? If this was the only passage that we read today, if this is all the scripture that we read today, you might think that we're titling this sermon a form to sarcasm. And some of you would be excited about that. God is sarcastic when it comes to other gods and people who make gods. Because it's foolish. In order to break free, we have to understand, understand that idols are foolish. They're foolish. Here, in this, in this section, here, here's what God is saying. First of all, humans make idols. Humans make idols. A few weeks ago, I, I, I said that, that when we make idols, the idols can only be as strong as the person making them. And humans make idols. And here God says, hey, look, you're making this idol. You can't even make the whole idol without going to get lunch, without needing a drink, without needing a nap after lunch. You can't even make a full idol without wasting away. Me, on the other hand, created the universe in six days without a break. The only reason why I rested on the seventh day was to be able to, 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 to teach you and to tell you to live in my rest. I already said in Isaiah 40, I being God, I already said in Isaiah 40 that I'm everlasting. I never wear out. Idols are foolish because they're made by humans. And they can only be as strong as the human making them. Not only is that, these idols are foolish because they're made in a human image. God's like, hey, whose image are you created in? And you want to create an image? It can only, that image can only be as good as your image. And then you're telling this image, rescue me. When I've given you my image, that's foolish. But also, idols are made from something that's created. Wood. In this instance, gold or silver or plastic or whatever. Clay. Idols are made from something that's created. You planted the tree and then it rained. The underlying factor to that is and it rained and who did that rain come from exactly who made that tree grow you and me being God and then you cut down that tree that you planted and I grew to worship it does that make a whole lot of sense to you Not only that, it's not sacred, it's not holy. Half of the tree, you used to warm yourself. 
You make a fire with it so you, you, can, you can get warm and, 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 and bake stuff with. And then the other half, you make it into an idol and say, rescue me. You're my God. It's not, it's not sacred. It's not holy. It's not set apart. It's not something that's completely unique. It's like, does that not sound foolish to you? That you're telling this thing, rescue me, that there is no way when you sit there with your common sense, there is no way that it's going to rescue you? That you never ask the question, is this foolish? Isn't this a lie? Now we may be sitting there going, hey, you know, look, we don't worship idols today. We don't have idols on our mantle. You know, maybe other countries do and other religions do. You know, I, I, I went to China. I've, I've been in China and they sold little Buddhas everywhere. The marketplace was basically an outdoor strip mall. And there's merchants everywhere selling robes and knickknacks and all, all kinds of stuff. And merchants that sold little Buddhas. And in the part of China that I was in, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't um, a, 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 a vacation destination for people. And so they, basically the Chinese that were, that, were, that were working, they knew three words. Hey, look, and buy. So as you're walking down through this marketplace, they're all going, hey, 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 look, 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 bye, bye, bye. Hey, 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 look, 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 bye, bye, bye. And so this one guy, this one guy comes up to me in this marketplace like, hey, 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 look, 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 bye, bye, bye. And a bunch of, bunch of Buddhas. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's all, that's all right, that's all right. And it and, 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 uh, went on. And like, no, 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 look, 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 look. And he held one up. And he's like, no, no, look, 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 look. And he sat it down and he poured water in, the, in its head, in the top. It had an opening. And then it peed. <laughs> like, that's funny, but no. But somebody was going to buy that to worship it. I don't know what they were going to worship, but... And I saw people in a shrine worshiping Buddha. And they were much too sophisticated to do that. Yeah, well, we have different idols. An idol is anything we think that will rescue us. Education? I know what I'll do. I'll go get more education. It'll rescue me. Fame or money or job or prestige. I know what I'll do. I'll go get me a job. that will rescue me. Addiction, pornography, drugs, alcohol, ice cream, food, anything. Addiction. I know what will rescue me. An addiction. Now, we don't necessarily set out and say that, do we? but we get ourselves there. Relationships. I know what will rescue me. A relationship. Another guy or another girl. Doesn't that sound crazy right now? And usually we call those people who seek after relationships in order to rescue them clingy. They need that in order to rescue them. But it's foolish. We don't stop and say, isn't this a lie? Is this really working? Why do we not stop to get that answer? Because we know the answer to the question. We know it's foolish. We just don't want to deal with it. 
See, God and Isaiah and Solomon and Einstein all have something in common. Isaiah says this is foolish. So does Solomon. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon says this, Proverbs 26, 11, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its foolish, his foolishness. Today we're learning how to not go back and eat our own vomit. Because when we're foolish, it's like we vomit foolishness and then a fool goes back to its own vomit. And Einstein said it this way. Insanity is defined as doing the same thing and expect different results. We keep going back to the same idol, expecting to be rescued, expecting different results, when we know that we really actually will go further into bondage and slavery, needing a rescue. See, quite often in our culture, we're, we, we, we want rescue without the bondage. We want rescue without the judgment. We want salvation without the hell. But, I'm going to get deep on you here. So, you ready? Ready? Ready to get deep? You can't be rescued without needing to be rescued. Told you, we're going to... Can't be rescued without needing to be rescued. We've got to deal with the bad news before we deal with the good news. See, a lot of times we think prophets and Old Testament prophets, when we think gloom and doom and God being angry. But all the Old Testament prophets were about were about redemption. And in order to be redeemed from something, we need to be rescued from something. And, the, and, and, and our rescue, when it comes to sin, is the rescue from judgment and hell that we've placed ourselves in. In order to be rescued, we have to be rescued from something. So how do we get free of the bondage? See, if we stopped there, we wouldn't have broken free yet. We would simply still be in our slavery. Isaiah 44, 21. Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you. I formed you, and I won't forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. I use the New Living Translation, and at the end of that, they actually, well, what they do is they take the word that most other translations use, redeemed, and define it. I have paid the price to set you free. Redemption is a slavery term. Every slave has a redemption price. Either the slave or somebody else pays that redemption price in order to free that slave. Here God says, I've set you free. I've redeemed you. See, but this is interesting. This is, this is incredibly fascinating because Isaiah is writing in the 700s B.C. Isaiah is writing 700s B.C., the slavery that Israel was going to go into wasn't until the 500s BC, about 150 years after Isaiah was writing. But what did God say? I have redeemed 
you, English majors. That is past tense, but the slavery was yet to be in the future. But God's already redeemed them. Like it's so far done that even though you haven't even gone into slavery yet, I freed you from that slavery. It's done. It's actually a little bit easier to think about in New Testament post-Christ times because he's already been on the cross and died and rose again and resurrected and, and, and ascended. Paul writes it this way about Jesus. Titus 2, 4, 14. Who, being Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul's like, look, Titus, Jesus has already redeemed us. It's done. There's no more work to do. He's redeemed us already. For some of you, all you need to hear this morning is that God has already redeemed us. We break free from the chains when we understand and we know God has already redeemed us. Because if it was a future tense sort of thing, there's something left to be done and and we would feel like it would be on our shoulders to do what is left to be done. But because God has done it in the past, all we need to know is that He has redeemed us The chains that we feel like are on us are actually laying at our feet and God's just simply saying, walk. Some of you may be going, I don't feel redeemed. I don't feel redeemed. I don't don't feel like it. How How do I know all this? Well, how can I have redemption but not have it because that's what i'm saying right you are redeemed but if you you're not redeemed you're not redeemed and how if i'm redeemed how can i be not redeemed right think about it this way abraham lincoln several couple years ago gave the emancipation proclamation Freeing all slaves at the same time. However, because of this was the day before 24-7 news cycles and Twitter, nobody knew about it. Slaves weren't immediately released. Why? Well, first of all, news hadn't traveled. The good news of being set free hadn't traveled Fast enough and far enough. And so some slaves weren't set free because the news of them being set free hadn't gotten to them yet. Some, when they heard it, wouldn't believe it. I don't believe it. Stayed in their slavery. Some, when hearing it, knew no other way of life, so they stayed in their slavery, slavery because they knew no other way of life. And some just flat said, no. No. 
I want to stay in slavery. It's the same thing today, right? There's some people, many people, who don't know that they could be set free. There's some people hear it and can't believe that they could be set free. Some people are so in bondage that they don't know that it's possible to get out of bondage even though they hear it. And there's some people that just refuse to be set free. The reality of our life and the experience that we have experienced in our life doesn't negate the truth of God already redeeming us. Sometimes experience has to catch up to reality. Maybe you're here have never felt freedom from sin because you've never heard or You've never given up your sin and your bondage. And that at the end of the day, that if you're really truly honest with yourself, and I was honest with myself, that we didn't want to get out of the bondage because the sin felt too good. Despite the consequences. But how do you get out? It's quite simple. You get so tired of the foolishness you want God to forgive you and turn you around. And just say, God, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of going back and eating my own vomit. It's disgusting. Would you turn me around? It's called repentance. Would you turn me around? And let me have a different life. In the Titus passage, he talks about redemption, but he goes on and he talks about more. He talks about, at the end, being zealous for good works. While we don't work for our redemption, there's no, nothing else to be done for our redemption. Um, he still says, we are redeemed in order to be zealous for good works. And thankfully, Isaiah takes that and describes it a little bit further. Isaiah 44, 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. In order to make the experience of God's redemption more of a reality in our life, what do we do? We sing. We celebrate. We get excited about the redemption that God has given us, that He has freed us, that He has saved us, that He has rescued us from ourselves and from our sin and from the slavery that we put ourselves into. I know that I've got to get better at celebrating this. And I know that we've got to get better at celebrating this. And by the way, this is God's marketing strategy. Is his people being so punch drunk with his redemption that we're willing to celebrate his redemption. 
Why have we never told students to stop moshing here? In order to give people the chance to celebrate what God has done in their life. And who would ever want God's redemption if we're not willing to celebrate it after experiencing it? Who would want it? Who would want it? Are we willing to let our hair down if we've got it a little bit in order to celebrate God? I'm too much of a man for that. Well, lo and behold, in about an hour, you're not too much of a man to celebrate somebody scoring a touchdown. Or last night. Right? I'm, I'm too... That's too just beneath me. Well, celebrating what happened to the Cardinals last night didn't seem to be beneath you last night. Celebrating the first half of the Mizzou game didn't seem to be beneath you last night. Just call it like it is. So why is it beneath us and too manly in order to celebrate something that actually matters? I grew up at Ridgecrest and after leaving Ridgecrest and, and going to some different churches, I just sat down and thought, you know what, 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 make, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? Two things. One, they were willing and wanted to worship and celebrate God. Worshiping and celebrating God was not beneath them. They wanted to do it. Do we really want to worship and celebrate God? Now, I know most of us here are introverts. I know the makeup of our church. So some of you extroverts need to help us out here a little bit, all right? Help us out here. Lead the way. Lead the way. Because we need to celebrate the redemption that God has given us. And we know that when we come in, and maybe we're not feeling redeemed, or maybe we're not feeling it, we know that singing, getting into worship, deepens the reality of God's redemption inside of us. The reason why we do songs after the sermon is for you to hear what God has to say to you, and then for you to then, out of response of what He wants, celebrate what He is doing in your life. That's the zealousness part of being zealous for good works. See, see, zealous is passion and desire. But what's the good works part? 
Isaiah 44, 24 to 28. This is what the Lord says. You redeem and creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? I exposed the false prophets as liars, as liars and, fool, and made fools and fortune tellers. I caused the wise to give bad advice, thus proving them to be fools. But I carry out the predictions of my prophets. By them I say to Jerusalem, people will live here again. And to the towns of Judah, you will be rebuilt. I will restore all your ruins. When I speak to the rivers and say, dry up, they will be dry. When I say to Cyrus, he is my shepherd he will certainly do as i say he will command rebuild jerusalem he will say restore the temple the good works is is that we are redeemed for the purpose of god we are redeemed for god to use us to advance his kingdom maybe some of you are like how did you get that from that well there's this dude named cyrus isaiah Isaiah wrote 150 years or so before Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel, Judah, and took some people back to captivity and slavery, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Israel, destroyed Judah, took some back to captivity. And that's where we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then, after Nebuchadnezzar took over the world as he knew it at that point in time, the Persians came in. This is history, all right? This is written down history. This is, this is not debatable history. The Persians came in and took over Babylon, and the leader of the Persians was Cyrus and conquered Babylon. So then Persia became the, 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 the uh, uh, world superpower at that point in time. And this Cyrus guy didn't live until 200 years after Isaiah wrote this. So it would be like me saying, you know what, here's what's going to happen. Between now and 2214, my math's right there, right? 2214 or 13:14 we are going to go down a path where the church is going to be completely destroyed in America but in 2214 and I named the guy by name he is going to lead a revival in our nation he's going to lead our nation and he's going to lead a revival in our nation and church will be established again what would you think about me? Woohoo! But this is what Isaiah's done. Actually, God through Isaiah. And lo and behold, Ezra 1. This guy, who is Cyrus, who goes by different names, and Ezra 1, king of Persia says, go home, rebuild the temple. The same guy that Isaiah talks about 200 years before, really, probably, he was even born. And you know what? Cyrus wasn't interested in God. Cyrus was a polytheist. He didn't worship Yahweh. He didn't worship God. But God used him for his purpose. So how much more? Somebody that's sold out to God, somebody that's zealous for God, somebody that's passionate for God, how much more will God use somebody who is passionate for him in order to accomplish his purpose of redemption? And what is his purpose in in, in redeeming you and his purpose in redeeming me? His purpose is to redeem other people. This is why we do this. 
is to redeem other people. If we did this for us, we would do it at nine, so we got out of here, so we were the first in line at lunch. And we wouldn't care about people who needed to be redeemed. We would have boring music. We would have more boring sermons. We wouldn't care. But because we're here and we're redeemed for a purpose, we do the good works in order to redeem other people who need to be freed. We have people all around us who need to be freed from their idols. And in fact, a lot of them are sitting in church because they think that just going to church will free them. As a youth minister, I got this all the time. Hey, hey, my kid's messed up. Um, I want to send him to church so that you can make him him right. You going to church? Oh, no. No, but... You'll make him right. That's, that's making an idol out of church. Church won't make anybody right. In fact, it'll screw them up even more. Jesus makes people right. And redeems people. We have people all around us, especially in the Bible Belt, who go to church but aren't redeemed. I'm not talking about heaven, hell, and salvation, but they're not free from the chains that bind them. Heaven, hell isn't up to us. But we can certainly free people who are chained to their sin. Are you redeemed? Are you free from the bondage? Or do you keep throwing the chains back on or keep going back to your own vomit to eat it? Are you tired of going back to your own vomit? What do you need to be redeemed from? So we have a time of reflection. What do you need to be redeemed from? This first song, it's a great song and it fits exactly right. And we're going to have the words on the screen, but I want this to be truly a time of reflection that you're really reflecting on what is God wanting to redeem you from? And also, what? Since He's redeemed in the past tense, each one of us, it's not that we need to break free from the chains. We've been broken free from the chains. We just simply need to trust it enough to walk away from the chains. So what does it mean that God has already done this? What does it mean to you that, that now... What does it mean that you can actually walk away from this? That He's already done it. What does it mean to you now that you can actually walk away from the sin, from the slavery that you have and that I have? He's redeemed me from the slavery that I put myself 
in. A couple of questions to consider. What have you been redeemed from? Or what do you need to be redeemed from? And what does it mean that He's already redeemed you? Wrestle with God about this during this time of reflection. Ask that over lunch. Ask that in the car. Ask this in in small group. If you need to be redeemed, you can talk with me. You can talk with Shelly. We'll be both in, in the back of the room. You can grab somebody you trust. Otherwise, use this as a time of reflection. What is God doing in your life? And use the words of this song to be your prayer of what He wants to do in your life. Because He's already broken you free. Now He wants to lead you out into a life full of purpose and full of excitement and celebration. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank You for this time. Lord, keep moving. Allow people to see Your excitement your celebration, your, your redemption, and that we truly celebrate your redemption. You well it within us in such a way that we're so excited that we can't contain ourselves. Lord, help somebody here to see your redemption for the first time. They break free of the chains to see you lead them into a life freedom move your spirit in our hearts so that we can move according to your spirit amen